Welcome to Games We Grew Up With, a podcast where my sister and I talk about the video games we played in our past and the memories we have of them. Each episode, we'll talk about one of the games that left an impression on us, put on some rose-tinted glasses and reminisce about it, then replay the game and see how it's held up over the years. This episode, we're cracking open the vault and talking about GoldenEye 007 for the Nintendo 64. I'm Chris. And I'm Katie. We've got producer Kyle, producer Lisa here. So here we go. Let's talk games. Let's do this. So we're on episode 007 because that's the only time it was appropriate to do Goldeneye. How do you feel? Da 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 da. <laughs> that's how I feel. Da da da. You got to finish it up. I know. I'm still mad that I couldn't put together why we are doing this game when we were. When we recorded the the rose tinted segment, yeah. So just a bit of a heads up, kind of like the Mario RPG episode. There's a lot to talk about with this game, so we might be going a little bit longer than we're used to. To be fair, we are a podcast that relies on nerdiness and nostalgia, so that just falls into what you're signing up for. You're not wrong. So before we get into the meat of the episode and get into our main content, just want to throw out some other gaming news. We, of course, have the announcements of the prices and dates of when the newest generation games come out, the PS5 and the Xbox Series S. I won't lie. I have seen some of this news, but not read any of it, mostly because my backlog is so big and it's just getting bigger with all of this stuff that we've got on tap for the podcast. It's like... I don't have time for any of these. Like, please, no. I literally have so many PS4 games I need to finish. I know. I I have so many games as well, but it's still so exciting. New consoles is just that hype is just so much fun. Oh, yeah. In episode world, we just came off of a watch party of the movie GoldenEye 007. It was producer Lisa's first time watching the film. And I think we had a lot of fun. And I hope you joined us for the live tweeting. The live tweeting was good. I think producer Lisa probably paid attention to about half of it. To be fair, all it need needs is about half of it paid attention to. She paid about as much attention to that as she does to when we record most of the time, so... That sounds about right. Is she... So... Oh, you don't have the switch out right now, so... <laughs> well, no, I just put my phone down. I'm switching to the switch in a minute. <laughs> Anyone who hasn't seen the movie in a while... It's good fun. Don't take it seriously. It's old school James Bond, but not very old school James Bond, but it's all in good fun. It's not Roger Moore dressing up as a clown, James Bond. Bulldog, what are you doing? He is trying to unplug everything. Ooh, that would be a good addition to the podcast. In the meantime, it's time for one of our favorite segments of the show. It's video game trope of the day. Trope of the day! Pew pew! Those were those were the silenced bullets from Goldeneye. Oh, okay. That that was my impression of that. Fair enough. So today's trope of the day is the escort mission. Yeah. So can you briefly explain, Katie, what an escort mission is, other than the bane of every gamer's existence? Yeah, I was looking up because I I pull a lot of these definitions from TV Tropes. It's a great website for all this. And in fact, under this escort mission said, often known as 
that level. <laughs> uh, and I feel like that explains a good chunk of what an escort mission is. But an escort mission is a level or a section of a level or a segment of the game where you have to guard and relocate a non-player character and keep them alive through one or more areas without you getting killed or them getting killed or even seriously hurt sometimes. Normally, in theory, this wouldn't be terrible, except the non-player characters are normally the dumbest things ever and do things like run straight into gunfire or into your gunfire, as Chris knows, or <laughs> they lag behind. That's another thing is they will be like, so slow and you just want them to walk at normal pace even game normal pace and they just go so slow so it's trying to get whatever sort of character with you from one point in the game to another point in the game and it's just it's just miserable it is especially in a lot of the earlier games where the pathfinding ai was just terrible so like if you had some weird level layout you'd run through it all and this goes to what you're saying they're slow but they were slow because somehow they're busy spinning around in a corner. I think it wasn't an escort mission, but the, the NPC AI in Daikatana, I think, was supposed to be a big thing. And then it ended up being terrible. Like there's videos on YouTube of your NPCs just like running around in circles with each other. So it's one of those things. Can you imagine that being mission critical? Yeah, when you need to keep your NPC alive with you and they are not helpful at all, it's the worst. Like I, when we're talking about video game examples, there are a couple, uh, Earthworm Jim, there's a level called For Pete's Sake that we did that you have to uh, escort someone around. That one was terrible. Like that was probably, other than the last level, the hardest level in the game. Yeah. That at least wasn't hard because the AI was bad. It was hard because it was just difficult because you had to like whip him over you know, over gaps and stuff like that. Yeah, and he if you if you got let him get hurt, he would maul the crap out of you. Yeah. But I mean you see this you see this in all sorts of genres of games, not necessarily just shooters or anything like that, right? Absolutely. It, it's definitely in all sorts of games. And I think the most frustrating thing that most people find when it comes to things like escort missions is when we bring up tropes and stuff like that, a lot of tropes are just fun and playful and you're supposed to enjoy them as part of the gameplay. When it comes to escort missions, it feels like for some reason developers have to to put this into a game, whether it's because they've run out of ideas and they need to expand the game time, or it's something like, well, you have to have at least one escort mission for some dumb reason in like so many games out there. And it's just, which is I think why it shows up in so many genres. It's like, well, let's yeah. just throw in an escort mission. And it's like, why? Why are you doing this to us? It's stupid. It's awful. Like it's never fun. No. StarCraft had interesting ones because it was more of, you couldn't let your main hero die. And you had to move him from point A to point B, which is, you know, that's what an escort mission is. I mean, you had it in like flight sims, like X-Wing, TIE Fighter, those games. You had to escort some freighter from point A to point B. Ico, if you remember that game, that was um, Mute Weird. Girlfriend. Yeah, uh, that Bang. one was just awful. Well, and, and that's the interesting thing is like their games, yeah, where a good chunk of the game, not even just a segment, but like huge swaths of the game are essentially escort missions. Yeah, that was the entire point of that game, yeah. Resident Evil 4, Leon Kennedy has to escort the president's daughter, Ashley, through a good chunk of the game. And she is so obnoxious because just every once in a while, she would just get captured, like <laughs> plot-wise, and just be like, Leon! Leon! And we were just like, shut up, shut up, I hate you. I want you to die. I want them to take you away. You're the worst. 
But then there are games like Bioshock Infinite, while it does have a lot of its issues, of course, you had an AI that, while it felt like it was going to be an escort mission, she was actually helpful. A, she couldn't really die, and B, she got you things. Like, that was nice. Yeah. But just like a lot of these tropes, they don't exist solely in video games. So you definitely can see escort mission type situations in other media, such as in Lord of the Rings, both the books and the movies, I suppose. Right. It's essentially an escort mission of Frodo because Frodo's useless. He can't do anything (laughs) on his own. And so he needs everyone to escort him around. Heck, even Sam escorts Frodo at one point because Frodo is useless. I'll carry you, Mr. Frodo. I can't carry this for you, but I can carry you. It definitely shows up all over the place. Yeah, it shows up everywhere. And it definitely shows up in movies like GoldenEye, which means, unfortunately, it showed up in games like GoldenEye. That was so much fun. I'm sure we'll talk about it later and complain about it later. So many curses were thrown at characters. But I think that means it's time to uh, wrap up Trope of the Day. Trope of the day! (laughs) All right, it is time to talk about our game of the episode. Katie, what can you tell us about GoldenEye 007 for the Nintendo 64? Well, it is a first-person shooter that was released in 1997 based on the 1995 movie of the same title. It was developed by Rare, a now legendary developer that's kind of fallen apart, and published by, of course, Nintendo for the N64. It's the fourth first-person shooter to have come out for the N64 after Turok, Doom 64, and a console port of Hexen. So it was a really kind of early addition to the first-person shooter genre. Originally, the game was actually supposed to be a launch title, but the development cycle was a little bit delayed and had some issues. Overall, though, looking back, GoldenEye is considered a really, really important game, not only just because it was so fun, but in just the actual history of first-person shooters, because it demonstrated the viability of game consoles as platforms for the genre like before that it really most of the top games were on pc so the fact that it moved to a console was really due to goldeneye not only that it was signaling a transition from the kind of more cartoonish Doom or Turok style to a more realistic style, or at least as realistic as those graphics could get. So it was really a transition of what first-person shooters really have become since that time period. It has a spiritual successor, Perfect Dark, also a very, very good game for the N64. And then there was actually a reimagining of GoldenEye 007 for the Wii. I believe it was on the Wii Virtual Console. But weirdly... It had Daniel Craig as Bond because he was the current Bond at the time when it came out in 2010 versus, of course, Pierce Brosnan, who actually played him in the movie. I don't know if I ever actually heard about that. So, uh, yeah, it was interesting because so they had Daniel Craig basically as Bond. And I think it has to do with the way the ownership goes that you can't represent Bond, not as whoever is the current Bond due to marketing issues and all of that. They didn't essentially want the confusion for some reason, even though it's basically a remake of an old game. They had to replace him with Daniel Craig, which is just kind of trippy to see Daniel Craig talking to Sean Bean. Bond is a weird franchise with their IP and stuff like that. Which is kind of, I think, an explanation for why there aren't a lot of great Bond games outside of this. Yeah. This game was widely praised at the time when it came out. Metacritic had an aggregated score of 96 out of 100, which might be one of the highest games that we reviewed. 
so far in the podcast. This was also before anything less than a 95 was considered about a failing grade, but that's a topic for another discussion. <laughs> GameSpot gave it a 9.8 out of 10. IGN gave it a 9.7 out of 10. Nintendo Power, bless them, gave it a 9 out of 10 because they don't care about decimals. <laughs> Because who needs math? Oh, God, no. Just keep it simple. Make it easy to understand. And say. And say. This thing actually won a BAFTA in 1998 for Developer of the Year. In 1998 alone, it sold 2.1 million copies. So this is the same as Ocarina of Time. Overall, it sold an estimated 8 million copies worldwide which put this at the third highest selling 64 game after Mario 64, which, by the way, came with the console, and Mario Kart 64. So it was definitely up there. Like, if you had a 64, you owned this game. So I I think it's also important to note that it sold 2.1 million copies in 1998, the year after it came out. And it was the same amount of copies sold as Ocarina of Time, which came out that year. So yeah. it tied a game that was brand new and is another game that's considered one of the greatest of all time. And it tied it in the year after it came out, which is just incredible. So people were still buying it the year after it came out. So like any retro game, this one definitely has a speedrunning community. And if we're just going to take an example, the first level, the dam, on double O agent mode, which is the hardest mode, has a record of 1 minute 50 seconds. And as a comparison, Katie on agent, which is the easiest mode, took 8 minutes, which is not bad. I feel attacked. I was really proud of that 8 minutes. Overall, the best time to complete on agent, which is again the easiest one, is 21 minutes and 40 seconds by Mark. And this happened only a year ago. So there's definitely, as we said with Jack and Daxter, there's still an active speedrunning community. And really, 21 minutes? I don't understand how that's possible. To beat the whole game. The whole game! I feel like I spent more than 21 minutes in cutscenes in this game. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's not 100%ing in agent mode, essentially, because agent is the super, is the easiest mode. Right. But still, that's, that's real quick. Even on double O, so the hardest mode, 100%, 58 minutes, 39 seconds. And that was done two years ago. Like, I can't even fathom that. So, kind of unsurprisingly, again, with how popular the game was when it came out and how popular it still is within the speedrunning community, when we asked you all what you all thought of the game and put out on social media, what did you think of Goldeneye? We got a lot of responses. We got so many responses. So, thank you. So, it's, it's great to get that feedback from the community. So, we'll go through some of the feedback. The first one, he remembers... Dorm rooms, alcohol, and marijuana. So that, that sums up a lot of, of people's reactions of just remembering playing it pretty much in college in their dorms, which is clearly slightly older than us, but that same idea. Well, I don't know. I think people brought N64s to college, even though it was an older system at the time, and just kept playing it, to be fair. I'm pretty sure one of the last times I remember playing it before this playthrough was we actually brought it to a Virginia... Maryland football game that a bunch of us went to and we played it in the hotel room. There you go. See? After after the game, so. Motel. Yeah. Hotel was giving that place too much credit. 
No, I think I think that's definitely a, a popular experience. I think that uh, more to the the more general version of that is that it was a party game. It was games you played at parties oh, yeah. with people and just had fun and relaxed with it. Another really popular and common comment I got when bringing this game up and people talked about is uh, the character of Odd Job and the fact that he was notorious. And we talk about this a little bit in the rose-tinted section, so I'll, I'll leave some of that there. But everyone remembered the fact that Oddjob was shorter than everyone else and how that was either your favorite character because of that or banned immediately from play because of that. It's funny because I almost wanted to talk about hitboxes as our trope of the day or like game mechanic of the day. And I was trying to figure out how hitboxes worked for Goldeneye. And all I Googled was hitbox Goldeneye, and literally the first three pages were just odd job is cheating. <laughs> nothing, nothing talking actually about hitboxes, just that odd job was cheating. And yes, so many of the comments we got were about odd job or Jaws, who was on the other end of that. Right, exactly. So definitely lots of comments around that. Another thing that comes up a little bit, we'll talk about a little bit later in the rose tinted section, was the quad view that came, which was again one of the I think iconic four player couch games, which yeah. no longer really happens in modern era. But then also peeking at your uh, com- competition yeah. because of that view. <laughs> Bad manners. We have our friend who loves being a contrarian, Jimmy, who said Perfect Dark is better than Goldeneye, which. Perfect Dark was a kind of spiritual sequel to GoldenEye, so it was still done by Rare. It, it's pretty much the same game with better a better engine, better mechanics, a better controller once they put it onto the GameCube. Yeah, but it was originally on the N64, so... It was, which I can't imagine it was any better. But he loves being a contrarian, so whatever. Take that, hipster. We got a lot of memories about the different game modes, like Golden Gun... Proxy Mines, Slappers. Paintball mode. Paintball mode. Yeah, the cheats were a big thing. Completely forgot about rocket-only mode. Can't believe we didn't try that. Yeah. We had a, a good story from from one of my friends talking about a particularly long session that they played in the dorms. And they were playing a bunch of Proximity Mine only. And so, you know, you get really stressed out about that. And he said him and his buddy both took a break, went to the bathroom... And then kind of at the same time when they were done at the bathroom, they saw like a uh, air freshener on the wall that kind of had that shape of proximity mine. And he said both of them literally just kind of recoiled at the same time and went, Ugh! so it's one of those games you definitely get into when you play a long time. So like a lot of people have really good fond memories of this game. Yeah, the really vivid memories, too. There are certain things that just stick out to you about this game, like an odd job, like Golden Gun Mode, you know, Proximity Mines. Again, it's funny that the the words that popped up over and over again from just, you know, all different people talking about this. A game that came out 30 years ago. Don't say it like that. (laughs) It's not 30 years ago. It's 20 years ago. 23. 23 years ago. But overall... A lot of the same memories across a lot of different people. This game stuck with people. So we really appreciate everyone who responded and talked about it. It's awesome to hear from you all. It's great to see the kind of responses to these kind of games. And uh, hopefully we'll hear more from you soon on the other games we play. So thank you so much. Yeah, definitely. Thanks to all the people that have been interacting with us. Keep an eye out on social media. We're going to try to ask these questions again, put some polls out there, check us out on Twitch, give us some feedback to kind of get a a sneak peek 
So we love the interaction. It's it's great to get all of these comments and read through them because it's it's just a lot of us reading them, nodding our heads, be like, oh yeah. So keep it coming. Check us out on social media every once in a while because we'll throw it out there. So now that we've gone through kind of the community's reaction to this game, I think it means it's time to get our reaction before we played the game. We are going to play our Chiacarina of Time and go into the distant past of a couple weeks ago and see what we thought. Let's do it. Alonze! <laughs> Is that what Doctor Who said? I don't know. Yes. So that music means we are back to the past. We are back when we're going to look over the game again and look at it before we had a chance to play it, give our honest reviews and thoughts from when we originally played this game. So Chris, before we get to that though, why are we playing this game? Well, it was pointed out to me that this is our seventh episode, so we should be doing 007. I thought it was just because it's one of the most classic multiplayer first-person shooters that's out there and kind of set that tone for a generation of consoles. Console shooters, I should say. I mean, that that is also a fair reason to be covering it. That's why it was on our list originally, but the reason we're doing it now. It's episode 007, so there really wasn't any other game we could possibly cover but GoldenEye. I don't understand symbolism. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... What are some of your memories of this game, Chris? I remember that, obviously, we didn't have a 64, so we didn't play it at the house, which means we didn't really play a ton of single player unless we could squeeze it in, you know, at just random times. But I just remember literally playing this game at so many people's houses, like neighbor, other neighbor, high school friend, like just literally Every friend that I knew that had a 64, I probably ended up at their house playing this game multiplayer at some point. What about you? Yeah, no, that that's absolutely it. I've played it at any friend who had a 64, had this game, and everyone had to play it at some point because it is just such a classic of the system. And it just it was just genuinely so much fun. It was one of the games that had, I think, in my opinion, one of the best four-person couch co-ops, like to ever happen just it was oh yeah it was a game that naturally fit it i mean you had the mario games and that's fine but like this is a game that like genuinely like you just had four player split screen and that's when you wanted to go to that friend's house who had the biggest tv possible so that you could actually see your quadrant of the screen right and it was just a ton of fun because of that and it so i always associate this with like hanging out and playing with friends and yelling and screaming and all of that other good stuff. Lots of yelling and screaming. And, I, you know, I think one of the the few times you and I played this game together was, again, uh, when we were teenagers and we went to the beach house with our family for New Year's and our friend brought the game up. And so the four of us would go and play this game and we just we would just go so long and just constantly playing and rotating and, and playing all the different modes that were there were available and trying to mess with each other constantly. It was just it was just so much fun. One of the other things I remember 
with this game, having a distinct memory of it. And the first time I remember genuinely doing this was the screen peeking. Oh, yeah. Like, it was the dirtiest thing you could do yeah. is check, like, especially because you're playing multiplayer and you're trying to find the other person. And you're trying to hide. Yeah. Absolutely looked at the other people's screen, even though that is bad gamer. Yeah like juju but i absolutely didn't this is one of the first games i remember doing it like in racing games it just didn't matter nearly as much whereas this is a game it mattered where the other person was so i absolutely was peeking at people's screens well you remember that was one of those like you had all those house rules for this game too right like no screen peeking uh no picking what was his name odd job, odd job. the short one nope. uh no running around it was like bad form if you ran around when you're crotched because you were yes. essentially shorter. Like, th this was one of those games where it was definitely, there was a ton of house rules and you could play it the, the non-sporting way if you wanted to. Well, it's funny because there were these house rules, but they were house rules I think you'd find at any household you ever played this game at. These weren't unheard of house rules. Like, oh, no yeah. one was ever allowed to play as odd job unless you purposely said you okay fine you could be odd job in this particular round or something because it was so unfair because he was so much shorter can we also talk about the fact that they blatantly got it wrong that odd job is not short he is like the actual actor is normal size and we people think they mixed him up with knickknack who is tiny i never thought about that yeah isn't odd job the guy that turned out to be like the the mob murderer uh, yeah, no, he he is legitimately in jail. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's a trivia aside. Yeah. That would be random task from Austin Powers. Oh, thank you. So the the discount odd job, very good. But the the real life odd job was normal sized. That is a fact. Huh. They mixed him up with knickknack, and that just feels racist because it's like, oh, it's the Asian guy. It must be the short, tiny one. It's that one. Yeah, it's fine. Like all that subtlety and and nuance that they had in those games back then. I also remember one of my favorite modes was slapper modes because then I didn't have to yeah. stress about getting a gun and I didn't have to aim. I could just hit people. That was the, the one kill slapper mode, right? Like, cause that was a different, you just threw those two games, two game modes together. That's just right in my wheelhouse of not having to aim and just hitting people. Yeah. Cause what they also had like man with a golden gun was one yes. where like there was one golden gun, which was a one hit one kill. So it's like, and it was like an unspoken rule. Everyone teamed up on the guy with the golden gun. Oh, always. Yeah. You had to. Another thing that always sticks out with me, and, and our parents were very conservative when it came to gaming and that mature games weren't supposed to enter our household. Like, they didn't buy it for us. People weren't supposed to buy them for us. We, Sorry, Mom and Dad, we found our ways. But, <laughs> you know, we weren't supposed to play those mature games. And I remember, I don't know if GoldenEye was mature, but I remember how iconic it was when you die to have the blood flood the screen and it's not realistic and the and the sound effect and it was so cheesy but it was just so iconic it was just like boom it was just like fill your screen with blood it was so good because it it did the like the da 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 wow yeah <laughs> that exact sound wow <laughs> I remember because it was like a handful of multiplayer levels. We mostly did multiplayer, but they had that one level. I think it was called Complex. There was a Complex level. Now that you say that, it, that sounds familiar. There was where it was like the, the bunch of rectangular rooms that were kind of connected with short little hallways. And they had the second level above 
that was just a bunch of balconies where you could look down and jump down. I was saying that yeah. exact stage earlier before we started recording. I was like, what is the name of that level? That was like the, to make a Counter-Strike reference, that was the DE dust of Goldeneye. Like, that's the one that at least we always played on. At least oh, I remember. Oh, we played it all yeah. the time. Yeah, that's the one I distinctly remember as well the weapons just you talk about the golden gun in slapper mode but i also remember the proximity mines because they were like the only way i killed people they were awful i hated the proximity mines in multiplayer that was another one of those house rules that wasn't constant but it was like you know because there was a way to mode that there was no proximity yeah. mines, and i hated that because it was like the only way i killed people was with proximity mines because i can't aim for anything oh, i remember there was uh, what are the other weapons? There's the AK-47, which I remember what it sounds like. There was the club or whatever. I remember the silencer noise very specifically. I feel like that was one of those that like set a precedent of what silenced guns sound like in video games. Yeah. It was just, it was that party game that everyone wanted to play. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, so kind of switching gears, we did play single player mode a little bit. I know we played it at the beach a bit, but it wasn't definitely the main mode that we played growing up but we did play it a bit i do remember some of the levels like the library was a level and, and we don't want to talk too much about gameplay yeah. i'm sure we'll discuss it in the actual when we actually have played it again but i do know that like notoriously and i remember having this frustration but the notorious natasha level where you had to protect natasha and she literally would run in front of you as you're shooting oh yeah she's an idiot and she's just the it was, worst it's, it's escort levels are always escort levels are notoriously terrible but like that i just remember she was notoriously bad for like running in front of you and it was one of those i remember thinking when we played it like no it can't be as bad as people think like they're exaggerating nope no she's mm -hmm. terrible she's terrible i remember the cheats i remember all the different cheats right Oh, that's um, right. Invincible. I think there was a one shot. All the weapons, which I think included the tank. Like you could just fire the tank cannon, just walking around. And what was what was the big headed mode? Was that DK mode? Yes, I think yeah. so. I I loved the big headed mode because doing big headed mode and slapper combined was also a really fun one. Yeah. <laughs> and those are I think all time based. Like you had to do levels in a certain amount of time to get the um, cheats you had to complete a level in a certain amount of time. Which is going to be fun going back and playing it again. Since we never really played the single player. I'm scared because, again, I'm terrible at shooters, so I don't think James Bond's going to live through this adventure. But, like, this was before dual-axis controls, right? So Instead, we're going to have those terrible Nintendo 64 controllers. Yeah. The, the like, least ergonomic controller ever. Yeah, it's going to be something. Oh, I remember the noise when you pick up the body armor. Like, I can't even begin to describe it. Like, just, like, the, the kind of breath. I, it's, it's such a weird thing to remember, but just, like, playing this game so much. It's the little things like that that just stick in your memory, which is just kind of funny. Like, the sound effects and just, like, this, the, some of the imagery of it. It was, it, I mean, it wasn't great graphics. We even knew back then it no, wasn't it great really graphics. it really wasn't. Like, the character models were bad. It wasn't great to play through, necessarily, because, like, I remember sometimes you'd be like, I know I hit you in the head and nothing happened, and that is so yeah. frustrating. But, you know, I, like, it just was so much fun anyway because of the fact that we just it was just fun to play with people 
Yeah, it's it's definitely like it was a party game. It was a you've got people over, let's throw Goldeneye in there and have some fun. It was definitely a fun game to have around with a ton of people. Like that's all I remember just being with other people playing this game. Yeah. So I would say, you know, as that point, what would you what would be your rose tinted score then, Chris? What would you give this rose tinted wise? This is really hard because, again, we didn't play a lot of the single player, but played a ton of the multiplayer. And obviously it's probably going to be high because knowing the impact that it had, I'm probably going to go with, based on my super, super, super rose-tinted glasses, a nine because I remember having so much fun with it. How about you? What is your rose-tinted score? I think for my rose-tinted score, I mean, I, I do remember having a ton of fun of it and playing it, but I think knowing my personality and, and, and knowing me, I get frustrated very easily. Uh, I'm going to give an 8 out of 10 instead just because I know I would get angry that I always was the worst, and I hated being the worst. So, Which is why you use Prox Mines. Yes, I don't regret it. <laughs> uh, so I'll give it, I'll give it, I'd say an eight out of 10. So I kind of wanted to actually do something a little different for this prediction score. Sure. Instead of just one score, I think we should give it two. I think we should give the single player campaign a score. And I think we should give multiplayer a score because I just think we will approach them differently. I think that's fair. I think that's a great idea. Other than the fact that that means I'm going to need to make producer Lisa play multiplayer for an extended period of time which not going she's well. going to hate to be fair i have played this game before <laughs> i i like the way you think yes two scores what is your predicted single player and predicted multiplayer score okay because i anticipated this i don't feel as guilty saying this I think my single player score is going to be a six out of 10 because I'm terrible and I'm going to get so angry and we might break a controller in the process. So because I, ha I don't break those things. They're, valuable. they're so expensive. So I'm going to say for single player, just because I know the controls were super finicky and I, I know sometimes there were just things that just seemed to break in the game. I'm going to give it a six out of 10 for multiplayer though. I think it's still again, because the whole fun parts about multiplayer, it doesn't matter that there are some issues with it because it's more about everyone doing it it's everyone's even with it so i think multiplayer i'm definitely going to give it like an eight out of ten for sure yeah so that's pretty close i think i would go drop it down to call that a six and a half okay because just thinking about how the controls are lined up with dual access stuff probably a six and a half multiplayer i probably will go an eight because you're on even ground and it's just fun so yeah we'll go with that yeah okay I'm really looking forward to playing this. I think both of us will be streaming some of this, but I think we're going to at least try to get recordings of us and maybe other people joining us playing multiplayer so we can get the authentic feel of it. So I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. So uh, I think it's time to head back to the future, present, whatever it is. Let's go. Pew, pew. So we've been shot back into the future, I guess. Pew, pew. Back to the present. Or as one Alan Parrish said, what year is it? I mean, that's a great question for this year, to be fair. <laughs> oh, Jumanji. Time travels hard. So we're back. We uh, did our rose tinted. We learned about our feelings and our memories of the game. So let's now get into the game itself. Chris, tell me a bit about the plot of Goldeneye. So 
this was a pretty much walkthrough of the GoldenEye movie for the most part in terms of plot and stuff like that. There were certain things out of order, but pretty much the plot of the movie follows the plot of the game. So you start at the dam in the movie. It takes about literally 10 seconds and it's an entire level. Uh, then you go to things like the facility, runway. Those are all in the first maybe uh, 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah. I think the biggest change, of course, is that to make the video game interesting, they definitely had to expand out these levels. So for the dam, like Chris said, it took 10 seconds in the movie. It's just James Bond walking through the dam, essentially, and then jumping off of it. Whereas in the game, you had to shoot your way through certain sections and fight your way through it. You know, they made it into a game. So it was was really a lot of times reasonable changes that they made in order to accommodate an actual game as opposed to a movie yeah the game was kind of split up into seven kind of major areas so you had the the opening area which was like dam facility runway so kind of the opening of the movie then you went to severnaya for a couple levels then you went to kyrgyzstan that was the silo that wasn't actually in the movie then you went to monte carlo for a tiny bit for the frigate which was only in the movie for about 10 seconds but was an entire level like a lot of stuff you went back to Severnaya for another surface and bunker, which we'll get into later. Then you went to Russia for a bunch of levels, the statue, the archives, uh, the streets, which was the tank, uh, the depot, and then the train. And then the finale was when you went to Cuba. So you got the jungle, the control center, the caverns, and cradle. So that's a very high level overview Yeah, I think, you know, the overarching plot of both the movie and the game is you as a super secret spy are trying to stop Russia, the big bad guy, or who you think Russia is the big bad guy. Turns out there's someone else manipulating the scenes from deploying a major weapon in the process. A buddy of yours, Agent 006, Alec Trevelyan, dies. He dies. Sean Bean. Sean Bean uh, dies as part of the mission. About nine years later, you seem to be following the path still and the breadcrumbs to try to figure everything out. Then a Russian facility, top secret facility, gets blown to smithereens. They're not in the game, to be fair. (laughs) Um, And uh, the super secret weapon, Goldeneye, is stolen. Then you find out it's not actually Mother Russia. It is a separatist group that is actually manipulating the whole situation. They are trying to do it for money and or personal reasons. And then you find out, lo and behold, your such good friend who died in the line of duty for for England, Alex. Spoilers. Spoilers. Sean Bean wasn't dead yet. For yet, once. And was actually the bad guy. Da-na-na. And he's the one manipulating all the moving gears and scenes and he knows you so well as James Bond because you guys were such good friends that he anticipates your every move and then you save a Russian chick who we got wrong in the rose-tinted glasses. Her name is Natalia, not Natasha. What's this we stuff? You didn't correct me, therefore you are wrong along <laughs> with me. <laughs> so Natalia is the worst, but in the movie, not so much. She actually is kind of better in the movie. But she basically is part of, she was working on the the weapon itself, so you actually do have to escort her around because she can help you disarm it. And basically the whole thing is then to shut down the separatist group from making sure they don't blow up London, which you do. 
And that and that's the low and down and dirty version of the plot. Also, you met Hagrid. You did meet Hagrid, which in Chris's playthrough, he kept being like, Robbie Coltrane! It's Hagrid! Robbie Coltrane, whatever. You're a spy, Jimmy! <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's the overall plot of the game. Getting into some of the mechanics of the game that came along with adapting a movie into a video game. Some of the levels Chris mentioned, while you see them within the movie, you don't necessarily interact with them in the same way in the video game. So some of them are expanded, as we mentioned, the dam in 10 seconds in the movie. However, in the game, you actually, in the secret agent modes, learn a lot of plot story for the movie. You actually have to do a lot of background stuff to kind of develop pre-movie backstory that you don't actually get in the movie, obviously, but you also, that's how you get plot points in the game is they build it out there. And then later on, for example, you as James Bond go to Severnaya where the first GoldenEye was being run. You go there twice in the game to Severnaya and Surface. James Bond never goes there as a movie. So it's kind of interesting that that's how they built out extra levels and expanded out to make a full game from a a two-hour movie. And there's things like the frigate where in the movie he runs onto the frigate and gets tackled by French MPs. And in the game is an entire level where you have to go rescue hostages for some reason. And then, you know, plant a bug on a helicopter. And and by rescue hostages, you mean the fact that Kyle let most of his die. Well, you could let a bunch of them die. It was fine. Just enough, but he still passed the level. That's right. But yeah, so I mean... It was interesting that they did things. I think some of the biggest changes plot-wise from movie to the game, beyond just expanding out areas, which of course was a big part of it, was actually the introduction of Natalia. So in the movie, James Bond does not meet her until they're both trapped in the helicopter about to blow up in the graveyard, or the, the statue graveyard. Statue, yeah. About to blow no up. No graveyard, statue park. S- statue park, fine. Well, it says graveyard in the game, to be fair. No, it doesn't, does it? It does, because I looked at the level name. Oh, yeah, I get it. Graveyard for statues. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so that's when James Bond and Natalia actually meet in the movie, whereas in the game, you actually meet her in a jail cell in Russia. Pretty early, yeah. So you meet her, and then you guys go together to do the whole mission on and off, I guess, because she's in the statue park with you. Yeah. Somehow. They don't really explain that. Reasons. And then you guys get recaptured together to then get back to plotline of you guys breaking out of the Russian prison together. So it's kind of really interesting. The changes, they actually incorporated her a lot earlier in the game than James Bond would have met her. Because in the game, I guess, world, they wanted you to know her when you started knowing her in the movie. But James didn't meet her. So they had to find a different way to have it incorporated. Because unlike in the movie, you can't just leave James Bond when you are James Bond. Right. I mean, there's a lot of that, right? Like, you were in a launch silo for the satellite that wasn't in the movie. Yeah, you took a picture of the map of GoldenEye at one point. Yeah. You hacked GoldenEye at one point, and then you took a picture of the satellite before it was in space, which it had been in space for a while yeah. in the movie. These are all elements that they changed in the game, and it's interesting elements that they changed in the game because it didn't feel out of place in the game until you watch the movie, and you're like, that actually never happened. Yeah, it actually worked pretty well the way that they did it in the game. And, like, you're talking about it kind of fleshes out a lot of stuff, and that was all through the briefings, like the pre-mission briefings, right? So that's where pretty much 
all of your background came from was these pre-mission briefings. And, and unvoiced briefings, noted. Yeah, you just had to read them. Because they had, like, the briefing, there was the, like, intelligence, which is the more in-depth, and then you had the money penny. It was always M. Yep. Q, who talked about what sort of gadgets you might have. So that's actually where, if you didn't read those briefings, you could screw up, because it's like, we gave you a camera in your watch to take a picture of the map. And if you didn't read the briefing... You can't get to it. It's it's not there in your regular weapon rotation. You have to go into the pause menu and and pull it out. Yeah. Yeah, if you didn't read those briefings, you could actually miss crucial information to beat a level, which is a really interesting way that they encouraged you essentially to read those uh, briefings, except for Money Penny. I have a really big gripe with this because <laughs> they always had an M section, a Q section, and a Money Penny section. Now, the Money Penny section only had like two lines per one, and they were all thirsty as heck, and it just drove me up the wall because Money Penny would be like, Oh, James. You gotta be careful. Come back safe. Oh, James, it's cold in Russia. <laughs> like, woman, woman, have some self-respect. Yeah, no, she's like, oh, be careful of Xenia. We can't trust her. You should find love closer to home. Like, Ugh. good Lord, money, penny. And like the one scene she's in the movie, she's actually kind of like... I'm sorry, James, I was at a date with a gentleman and he's like kidding on her and she's like, this could be sexual harassment. And then, of course, she follows it up with, you'll have to follow through with it. Like, damn it, Money Penny, you were so close. Yeah, I, it's, it's interesting how in the movie she definitely was a little bit more assertive and... She was more sassy. They just made her super, like, waifish in these briefings. Super waifish. Yeah. It drove me. Like, every time we'd scroll past her, I'd be like, ugh. So we've talked about kind of the plot and how the levels are, are strung together narrative-wise. What did you think about the actual mechanics of the game? So I suck at first-person shooters. This is a theme I feel like. I keep saying <laughs> how much I suck at games. I swear I'm okay at some games. I swear I am. But I'm terrible at first-person shooters. I'm terrible at when the aiming is opposite, when like down is up and up is down to aim. I don't. I just can't get that you into know my you brain. You changed that. I know, but I just... Eh. It's funny because literally in every other game, I hate inverted Y-axis for aiming, but the muscle memory of this game pretty much kept it as reverse because I, I tried to, to change it to literally every other first-person shooter that I play, and I couldn't do it. It was too weird. I couldn't go back to something that I wasn't used to for this game. Yeah, so that was really frustrating at times. But honestly, it's still it's still a really fun game. I found myself genuinely really enjoying playing it. I got really, really frustrated. Yeah. And, and that was, I think, a theme of, of playing it. I would just get really, really annoyed. And, and it definitely would, for the levels I played through, I didn't play through the whole thing. Producer Kyle ended up playing through the end of the game. Mm-hmm. But even the, the levels I played through, I would get lost for like 15, 20 minutes in a level, die, and then be able to beat the level at least in a decent amount of time the next time because at least I knew where I was going. There was one time, like the first time I was playing one of the levels, I think it was like facility or something. I circled this area like six times, seven times trying to find the next door. And it was just, this is something that bothered me about the game mechanics was you knew general mission ideas of like, find the like key or whatever right but 
but then it it missed mini mission like things that are like you need to find this door key to get to this area to then find whatever you're looking for and and so there were times you just had no idea how to proceed to the next step it felt like a lot of times there wasn't enough clarity on what you're supposed to do to get to where you needed to go yeah, that was that was definitely a thing in facility, and I know exactly what you're talking about when you say that because there's there's a door that you have to open that lets you open a security door, but you can't open that first door as you said until you find the key, which they didn't really talk about, and it's in a random hallway. You have to kill someone after you kill a guy. Yeah, there were a bunch of those moments. I mean, that's, that's part of those old games, right? Like go back to Doom. It's just a key hunting puzzle. Yeah. So that was kind of a trope for those games. Like, you needed to find a key to unlock this door to unlock another door. But, like, in more modern games, not always, I, I guess a lot of the ones I play, there's almost more hand-holding in the sense that you'll have an overarching mission, and then you'll have a mini-mission below it that are like, in order to get to the overarching mission, you need to complete these steps in the process. And this game didn't have that. So there were just times I just had no idea what the next step was. I think the other thing that came along with especially because I played at the agent level, so the easy level. Mm -hmm. And the way GoldenEye works, though, is you can actually accomplish tasks for higher levels, even if they're not required of you to finish it at the lower level. Right. But because of that, they can lead you down roads you don't need to go on. So, for example, when I was in Severnaya the first time, I picked up a computer room key. And I knew I had to scan a computer or something like that. So I was like, well, I need to find the computer room then. And I start running around trying to find it. <laughs> no, you don't. Because in my mission, it was just right there, right in the room I was in like 20 times. But I just was so convinced because I had this computer had the room key, key yeah. that I had to find the computer room, which I guess is something for one of the higher difficulties. And so it's stuff like that. It was like almost like don't give me an item I don't need. But it's kind of also cool that you can get tasks done that you're not required to. So I, yeah. I have such mixed feelings about it. But for me, who I guess because I play all these games that sometimes have side missions that the way you figure it out is by the clues, by what they hand you. Oh, right. I know I need to do this because I got this. I hurt myself in the process by doing that. I actually thought that was really cool that the difficulty was ramped up. So there was three difficulty levels. And so the easy way to up difficulty, right, is to give enemies more health. And they did that. Uh, they gave you essentially less health or, you know, they made you more vulnerable. But what they also did, what I thought was really cool, is they gave you extra goals. So we were talking about the dam. In Agent, the goals were bungee jump off the dam, which is pretty much all that happens in the movie, right? Yeah. But as you go up, there's things like throw a modem on this computer terminal and disable all of the alarms. So you're turning a mission that would take you, I think as we said in the speed run, what, like a minute and a half or something like that? A minute and 50 seconds? Yeah. And it turns into like a five, ten minute mission because you've got to do all this extra stuff. I don't know what you're talking about. The eight minutes I took on the agent mode is absolutely <laughs> reasonable. Whatever thing that I thought was really cool with, with the increased difficulty too was they gave you less body armor. So there was places yeah. where you could get body armor. They gave you less body armor and less ammo. Yeah. Which, in some of the later levels, turns out to be a really hard thing to deal with. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, too, because that's very um, survivor game kind of methodology yeah. of, like, well, this is a survivor horror specifically. Like, if you survive right. a horror, you get less ammo for the harder modes. And James Bond actually did that in the harder modes. Well, and that kind of goes into the, this was one of the first games that kind of went away from that, just, like, 
crazy fast-paced arcade shooter that like Doom and Turok were, where it's just like, run around as fast as you can, kill everything, and get to the exit. This was uh, definitely more of a tactical stealth every once in a while. Yeah. Definitely stealth, because they had things like silencers and... And the way that the AI reacted. Well, and there were things like alarms that if you could disable an alarm or a camera or something, you would get benefits. Especially yeah. you had to in certain, in like the higher difficulties, you had to disable some of those things. And yeah, that was kind of one of those things that like was part of the difficulty spikes as well is, is there'd be things you'd have to disarm or extra steps you have to do in each level. And, and that was kind of an interesting way to ramp up the difficulty outside of the typical, like you say, get less armor or even less ammo. As we said earlier, this was such an influential game in terms of console first-person shooters. So I, I wanted to talk kind of about the artificial intelligence mm -hmm. that they programmed into the NPCs because really it was one of the first games that had a really, really good set of NPC AI. Like the AI in this game pretty much set a precedent for almost every other certainly first-person shooter to come like even the, this stuff was demoed and a lot of the stuff ended up being used in half-life which came out a year later so like valve saw the stuff that they were working on half-life came out this early i know right holy moly okay sorry yeah no but like it's it's crazy to think about because they were working on stuff that were concepts that weren't even in games. And you could tell how much better the AI was in this game than than games of, of its even same era up to this point. Things like they added patrol patterns. They added things like the enemies could call for reinforcements by hitting those alarms. The pathfinding was completely new and exciting. They could find you. Like, I yes. remember specifically in Surface, you'd think everyone was gone, you wouldn't see anyone, and then you'd see someone coming over the hill, clearly looking for you. They didn't just happen to be walking by, they were clearly looking for you. Yeah. And and that was, it's really cool to see that in such an early game, which even modern games don't always do that. But like, the idea of just like, some of the precedents that this game set, again, became precedents for the industry. Oh yeah. Like you were saying, if they heard something, if they saw something, if they saw someone getting shot, if they heard a gunshot, because that was a thing, right? Different weapons made different noise levels. So like a silence gun wouldn't alert a guard. The fake AK-47 would alert every guard. Yeah, it was, in, it was interesting. Like, um, oh, is it facility? One of those really early levels that you're in that you drop into the bathroom, which was one of the comments that also popped up on our social media is yeah. that was there a level in the bathroom? Yes, you did end up in a bathroom at one point because you fall into a stall from the ventilation system. So you go in and I noticed the first time I went in and there's someone right next to you. If you ignore them and go out the door, like you just go on. But if you kill them and then there's other people in there, they all start coming out of the stalls and coming attack you. But if you make enough noise and stay there long enough, when you open the door of the bathroom, there's like 30 guards waiting for you on the other side because you got their attention because you started shooting people in the bathroom. And that goes into the archives, too, where you start in that room with Natalia the first time in the movie that Bond and Natalia are in the same place for an extended period of time. They actually punish you if you stay in that room for too long. They made it where they would still be there. They wouldn't be activated. But if you stayed in that room and they could hear you, it would spawn a copy of the bad guy and it would run into that room and you would have to shoot him. And it would just keep spawning bad guys 
So they would just keep sending. Yeah, it was. I went down a huge rabbit hole reading about all this stuff for this game because it's absolutely fascinating. Because again, it was one of the first to do a lot of these concepts. And I could go on for hours and hours and hours, but I won't. So please cut me off. Because it's not that kind of podcast. I know. And I. Please talk to me online because I want to talk about this. It is really, it's really, really interesting stuff. Yeah. And yet I still got stupid frustrated at times. I know. So I think an important part of this game is the cheat codes as well, right? Because there was a lot that that kind of built into the game itself because you earned the cheat codes. You didn't just use a code. Well, you could also just use You could also use the codes. But you can earn the cheat modes essentially, not the codes. You don't earn the yeah, codes, correct. you earn the modes. And and how did you how did you get those? Beating levels in certain time. It was like you have to be a certain yeah. level at a certain difficulty in a certain time. Like as bad as I was, I got big head mode. Yeah, they throw you some bones every once in a while. Right. And that's nice. It's kinda like, Oh look, I did something. So, you know, obviously the cheat modes of like invincibility and all the weapons, those come at much harder levels. I feel like invincibility was probably the hardest one because you had to do that on like double O difficulty and facility. Yeah, that sounds right. And like just in an absurd amount of time. Like we had a comment on Facebook about this where he was pretty much saying that it was his, his crowning achievement. So it's like, yeah, you had to do it in double O agent in like two minutes and change. And that level had a bunch of... AI-dependent stuff that you had to do. Like, you had to escort scientists and stuff like that around, I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure. So, like, accidentally hitting a wall at the wrong time and pretty much that whole run being thrown away because you had to do everything perfect. Yeah, it definitely is one of those, you have to be perfect for some of those cheats, which is why I was never, never going to get them. So that's kind of why it was nice. They did provide other ways of getting those cheat codes. Yeah. You could just input a code like you do in a classic sort of way. And they were almost more like achievements. Like they were cheat codes, but they were like achievements that actually gave you something, not just Microsoft points, right? No, absolutely. And that's exactly it. It's like you earned actually something, not meaningless trophies or points, as much as I sometimes still try to win those meaningless trophies. They're still fun. They're still fun, but they actually, you got something out of them, which was kind of fun. They also told you how to get these cheats by saying, okay, you did eight minutes on the first level. Your target time is two. Right. Go for it. And so you say, okay, if I can get it under two, that's how I earned that achievement, essentially. The details that they put into this game, beyond just the AI, but in general, it's just, it's really impressive for the era, in my opinion. Which is probably, to be fair, why there were game delays and why the game came out two years after the movie because of all these things that they did for it. I think a funnier kind of smaller detail is that actually all of the guns in the game are real guns, but they weren't allowed to name them the real names for whatever reason. (laughs) So they changed them to fictional alternatives. So what was the Czech Scorpion machine pistol was then changed to the Spider. However, for whatever reason, there were still issues with the name Spider. So that was changed to the Clob, which I think what everyone knows about now is the Clob. I hate that gun. Yeah, it's a terrible gun. And that was actually named after Nintendo's development and evaluation manager, Ken Lob. Ken Lob Clob. Huh. I did not know that. But that particular change was made so late in development that the alphabetical item list in the game still puts the Clob in the spider slot, it still shows up that in is, the alphabetical That is order really funny, actually. Because it was just too late in the game. Producer Kyle mentioned 
that the AK-47 couldn't be the AK-47, so they turned the 4 into an F. So it was the KF-7 instead of the AK-47. Like, it is just really funny little details like that. Yeah, because they had a lot of different weapons, too. One of the things that made me giggle every single time it happened was the AI tactical role. You would just be looking at an AI and it'd just be like, roll! And it would just roll oh, away yeah. from you. <laughs> Into walls, into snowbanks. It was just glorious. I love the Which is funny role. because it was very impressive that they could do no, that. No, it was, but it was just yeah. so funny because you'd be looking at It was at just it, like, roll! And you'd be running, or they'd be running towards you, and then suddenly they'd be like, and roll! And what everyone on the podcast can't see is Chris and I are physically moving our bodies just as roll, we're about to yeah. roll. We're, that's why it sounds weird on the mics, because we're rolling, we're away, rolling from away from the mics. <laughs> this is great podcast material. Yes. Yeah, that was, yeah, the, the, the enemy behavior and even reacting to the animations were a big thing in this game. Like, they could react if they were hit in the arm or the, the head or the or the crotch. They would react accordingly. It's funny, at the stats at the end of each level, they would tell you how many time, how many people you killed, what your accuracy yeah. percentage was, and they would say how many head shots, chest shots, limb shots, and then other. And I actually asked other. Kyle, and I was like, what's other and he's like oh it's the crotch shot because you could totally tell him like oh yeah because they did they would grab their their crotch be like oh area (laughs) crotch is not a bad word it was very that's fair your mother listens to this happy birthday mom (laughs) this is coming out right after her birthday well you know happy birthday mom (laughs) you never would have let us play this game no oh god overall it was incredible how ahead of its time almost the single player mode was it really was and Mm -hmm. it was really impressive how much they did for it it still drove me up the wall it may be because i suck at first person shooters and that's part of the reason but i just also think sometimes the lack of clarity or the fact that you know it just it felt like sometimes things happened for no reason as games happen to do but like there were times when it was just like why why did I just get shot like eight times right now when I wasn't mm-hmm. ready? Like it just, it just, there were moments it just didn't feel even after you had played a level three times and suddenly out of nowhere it changed. Like that would frustrate me. The controls were super interesting to go back and play with because again, uh, modern first person shooters for consoles, you've got the two sticks, you've got the look and the move. And they didn't really have this. Mm-mm. Part of it was made up. Well, part of it was the 64 controller was just... The worst? Yeah, terrible. And like you could go into the aiming mode if you hit the shoulder button. And they did have kind of the C buttons over on the left side. You could do a little bit of strafing. So you kind of got a little bit of the functionality of the two joysticks in modern gaming. But it, it wasn't the easiest thing to go back to. And I think that was frustrating. There, there was still a lot of muscle memory involved. And that, that genuinely helped a lot. But yeah, it was yeah. very frustrating comparing it to modern day and how much easier it is with two control sticks. Or, you know, it, obviously on computer, it's very different how much cleaner it can feel on the computer. But just in general, it was tough to play at times for me. Oh, yeah, you're right. The D-pad's on the left. The C-buttons are on the right, which makes sense in the modern controller. Thank you, Producer Kyle. I don't know my left from my right. And it's funny, because as soon as Producer Kyle reminded me that I don't know what I'm talking about, I literally closed my eyes and pretended to move around. And that's right, those C-buttons are on the right, which is where your look is on a normal controller. 
the other interesting thing again with the the N64 controller being what it was, Chris, I know you had the experience when you tried to play multiplayer mode of a mutual friend of ours, actually Tom from Will Run For podcast, went to play it and Chris immediately knew that he was not very experienced playing the game because... Because he did what everyone does when they grab a 64 controller for the first time and grab both outside sections and ignore that middle area. Which is where the trigger is, which is kind of important. Which for is a where first the trigger is shooter. and the easy way to move around. So I think that's a good segue into we've been kind of talking about the single player mode and how we felt about that. But, you know, the reason everyone remembers it, the reason people I think the reason it was the game to play, no matter what age you were, whether you were still a kid when it came out or in college when you wanted to play it again was multiplayer. And and that is that is the mode to play. That was probably 90 percent of what we played in the past was multiplayer. Absolutely. And that's where all the different modes that we talked about come into play. Big head mode, slapper only, proximity mind mode. That's where all those come into play is in multiplayer. That's where odd job being small comes into play. I think the the multiplayer for this game was kind of an afterthought. Yeah, the developers were so focused, obviously, on the campaign of the game to match the movie or as closely as they're going to match the movie. I think they just kind of were like, well, I guess we could just throw in a multiplayer mode. Just kind of slapped it together. And that's kind of crazy when you think about it, because, again, that is why people play. And maybe a reason for that was most of them hadn't been video game developers. This was the first game that I had ever really worked on. So that it wasn't a concept they thought of. They were told to make a game about the movie. And so that means single player for them. So multiplayer didn't cross their mind at first. And they just kind of threw it in there last minute. Because what had Rare or Rareware done before this? It was just all single player games, right? Like you had Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Country, Battletoads. Yeah, I mean, this was not like a priority for them. And of course, right. yeah, the multiplayer. That's, you know, when we talk about what the listener reaction was, it's almost all multiplayer involved. That's what everyone talks about is the multiplayer. Yeah. And, you know, we played through it again and we, we still had a lot of fun with it. I think the multiplayer kind of overcame some of the problems with the controls because everyone was dealing with those bad controls, right? And they had different modes. We kind of alluded to that. They had just regular deathmatch. They had Living Daylights. They were all named after Bond movies, right? Living Daylights, which was you ran around with a flag. They had Man with a Golden Gun. So the Golden Gun was a a one-shot kill, but it was only a one-shot magazine, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So only one person out of however many had the Golden Gun. You had You Only Live Twice, another Bond movie, which obviously... You only had two lives. I actually think with the golden gun, more than one person could get the golden gun, but still it was a it was a one shot kill. You're mixing it up because there's the other half to that is different weapon sets. Oh, uh, okay. So things like man with the golden gun was a scenario where only one person could get the golden gun, which you could also do the weapon set of golden guns, which could be as many golden guns as you could have people. Because you also had things like slappers only, so you can only... Karate chop people. Proximity mind only. Proximity minds only or rockets only. So like you saw a lot of different combinations of stuff that just kind of evolved from all of this play, right? So you had License to Kill, which was one-shot kills for everything and slappers only. So it's just people running around trying to karate chop each other. Which was amazing. Yeah. Or you had like proximity mines and, and one shot kills and stuff like that. Like it's kind of interesting where you had all of these combos combos that ended up being incredibly popular just through kind of 
cultural osmosis of people playing everywhere. Yeah, and again, this is one of the things, obviously, pre-significant like internet era. Like, you heard about these different game modes to try from your friends at school and, and playing right. at new people's houses that have the game. Well, I tried this mode, and I do this mode, and we do this mode. And that was how you found out about it. That's how you found the fun modes was just by talking to people and people having played them before. And That led to stuff like house rules, like we were talking about Odd Job, which was shorter than everyone else even if he shouldn't have been yes but so that was banned in most households or yeah you know yeah no screen watching no screen like. watching you know the multiplayer is it really has developed the culture of its own at this point and you know genuinely was a ton of fun still i i still had a ton of fun playing it again you know this time around and so we did we did two types of multiplayer so we did the original on the 64 because we both had 64s yes which i will say one-on-one -on -one in this game is incredibly not as fun as it could be unless your skill levels are incredibly close together yeah like there are some balancing things but it's it was kind of a pain to try to figure out the good balance right because obviously we you know can't have a ton of people over right now yeah, during these current days. I think the, the balance that, uh, while producer Kyle is better than I am, the balance we did while, you know, we did a little bit of a health balance and stuff like that. The big thing I think that was truly the equalizer was doing a golden gun mode, but not mm -hmm. man with the golden gun, but just having golden guns only, or not even only, but available. And because yeah. of that, a one shot kill meant I didn't have to aim well. I could just, right. if I managed to get it before he did and could find him and shoot him, I could win because of that. You know, and, and that's something I think, you know, that helped equal the playing field. And that, that was fun back, you know, in the day when you used to play it too, is sometimes you did have friends who were way better or way worse than you. So you'd find game modes like that that would sometimes be the equalizers or slappers only mode could equalize because mm. no one could do it from a distance. You had to get up and close to each other. And as soon as you're close to someone, it's almost equal footing. Same thing with like proximity mines. Like you didn't need to be able to aim well. Yeah, except proximity mines, you can kill yourself, which I did. Well, you know. There was another version that we looked uh, that was uh, mentioned actually when we were streaming. When Chris was first streaming the game, we had someone pop in and mention that there was a online multiplayer version available now on Steam called GoldenEye Source. And it essentially just took the game and put it on online multiplayer. So we were able to play all four of us on online multiplayer. And that was, it was on PC. So learning those controls. And again, actually it was a lot smoother to play this on pc i loved it i'm so much more comfortable at wasd and mouse yeah than I and am you with, showed it by how console. often you killed us all <laughs> we figured out that i may have played a little bit more of first person shooters than the rest of the games we grew up with crew yeah on pc in particular on pc in particular yeah and it was definitely not something that I have a ton of experience at all with. It's built in that, as it says, it's it's built in the Source engine, which is what Half-Life 2 is, which was a derivative of, obviously, Half-Life. And I had just actually finished a playthrough of both of those games recently because I love those games and like to go back and play them every once in a while. So I was quite familiar with those engines. So while we were going through our first playthrough of the multiplayer, I noticed something when I went back and watched the VOD. So I kind of made a tiny bit of a smash cut of this because you had a little bit of a tendency. So let's see what this is. I hate you already for this. God damn it, Chris. Oh. Oh. God damn it, Chris. 
Oh, god damn it, Chris. Nine times in 20 minutes. <laughs> you killed me a lot, to be fair. <laughs> I've been holding on to that. God damn it, I've been Chris. holding on to that clip for weeks. Yeah, he wanted to so long. He was going to play it the other night on one of the calls, and I was like, don't do it. <laughs> Save it for recording. <laughs> Yes, you said you said God damn it Kyle twice and God damn it Lisa once and a few a few unattributed God damn it's. <laughs> yeah, because I was going through the VOD and I was just like, oh, she says that a bunch. And it's like, hold on, let's go through and count. Super cut. Oh, I hate you. I feel attacked. Um, so I'm very mad at you for that. It's not my fault I suck, so blah. Give me hate some you. credit. But I think I... Th <laughs> <laughs> no, you're you're very good, and I hate you. Not very good, but... Better than us. I'll take better than everyone else. But I think it's time to kind of start wrapping things up. So, Chris, the rose-tinted score you gave for the whole game, let's say, was a 9 out of 10. You predicted for single player a six and a half out of ten, and the multiplayer score you gave it a eight out of ten. What are your actual final scores? So I think for the single player, I'm going to go with just the single player gameplay itself mm -hmm. outside of any impact this has had. I'm gonna go with a seven. I thought it was built really well. But I thought the controls were frustrating, which is not its fault, but I don't care. So I'm going to call it a <laughs> 7 out of 10. Story was great. Level design was great. Controls were frustrating. Multiplayer, I'm going to go a 9 out of 10. Especially because I'm going to, again, fair or unfair, I'm going to group in that, that Half-Life source into that multiplayer. Because it is the game, just in a different engine that allows controls to kind of make it better even if that product is still the same with the weapons and all that other stuff yeah and and to be fair it allows us to play four-person multiplayer again uh when we can't right now when we live on other sides of the country so. correct so katie you gave it an eight out of ten for your rose tinted score uh your predicted score was a six out of ten for the single player and an eight for the multiplayer what are you going to go after our playthrough again for the single player, I definitely think I'm going to stick with that 6 out of 10. It just was incredibly frustrating at times. And I, I guarantee my opinion is biased by the fact that I'm not a huge first-person shooter fan. And so that's probably part of it. But, uh, you know, it just it was incredibly frustrating at times. Again, the lack of direction really, really bothered me. And I would get genuine. It wasn't even that I sucked in those cases. It was just I didn't know what to do. And that is very frustrating to me. That's fair. Um, so I think I think a six out of ten for the single player multiplayer. I think I have to get an eight and a half out of ten. I genuinely had so much fun with it. Oh, God. Yeah. 
both the console version and the online version. I just, I had a lot of fun. I think it's definitely a game that will continue to be played in the household when friends come over to visit, mm-hmm. when we have opportunities, just because it is, it's just, it's such a fun game. And I, I really, I really love it. And it, it's why I loved it back then. And it still was just as fun to play through again. It, the controls, as you said, didn't frustrate me nearly as much in multiplayer because everyone had the same issues and it was just a lot of fun. Right. All right. So. You're going to go back and play it again. You're going to bring it out for friends and play it again. I definitely agree. I'm going to keep it around. I'm going to keep playing the multiplayer, even online, because you could just play it with bots, which I, I love. I, I would say to anyone out there, if you've got a 64, go dust it off. Play Goldeneye again. You could get, uh, I think what we did is we got like a 64 to HDMI adapter for like 20 bucks on Amazon. Yep. Go play it again. I think it's worth it. Go play the multiplayer online if you know people that used to like it. I think I told one of my buddies about it and he was like, that's a thing? It's like, yeah, we're going to go play that. So definitely go do that. I definitely recommend, again, playing if you have a copy of it, if you still have a 64, definitely play that version. If you can get the GoldenEye Source, which isn't on Steam, but you can, there are ways of finding it, go find the game. That's a lot of fun. I, I think it's going to become a, a regular play of our, our uh, Coast to Coast co-ops because we just have so much fun with it. And it's definitely, it, it's a it's a great game. It's it, it really has lived up, the multiplayer especially, has lived up to the expectations and what I remember of it. Just, it's been a ton of fun. Oh, yeah. So, kind of exciting news. Speaking of fun games, we're excited for our next game in our next episode. Chris, what's the next game we're going to be playing? Our next game that we're going to be playing is practically topical, or at least it was topical when we were recording this. We're going to be going back to the original Tony Hawk Pro Skater, which is topical because... They just did a remake. So exciting news for that. The remake of 1 and 2 just came out for the modern systems. So we will be discussing the originals, playing those. Uh, You'll be catching us on the streams online playing those. We'll also be playing the remake on our streams. You might have already seen us playing it. Uh, Another news is inspiration from the Tony Hawk franchise. Both Chris and producer Kyle, for some reason, want to break themselves as old men and are going to (laughs) maybe start skating again and or learning how to skateboard so check out our social media get your friends to follow if we have some goals that we just recently posted onto social media i believe 125 total followers between all of our social media or 50 followers on twitch you can start seeing videos of producer kyle and chris trying not to hurt themselves on skateboards so that's going to be a lot of fun as well my pads are in the mail they should be arriving tomorrow Producer Kyle's just arrived. I've done a little bit of stuff and only fallen a couple times so far, but I'm getting new pads, so I will actually take it out onto the street. It's it's so, going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting, but in order to see this, you have to hit those goals. You have two weeks to get our numbers up to those goals, so get your friends and family and 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 start following us places. Check us out online. We're at GWGW Show pretty much everywhere, so chuck us out there. Otherwise, when you get the chance, give us a five-star review wherever you can, Apple Podcasts or anything like that. We'd really appreciate hearing from you guys, hearing what your thoughts are on the show. But overall, thank you so much for listening to us. Thank you for listening to this extra long episode. Thank you to producers Kyle and producer Lisa. 
So definitely check us out. Look on, uh, as we said, Twitch and Facebook. Uh, we like to put up a lot of compilations on Facebook and probably eventually YouTube when we get around to it. So yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Say goodbye, Chris. Goodbye, Chris. Bye, everyone.